Welcome to the Tone Duff Sessions, hosted by Bruce Duff, author of The Smell of Death, musician, producer, and artist manager. The conversations are recorded at Tone Duff Studio in Hollywood, California, and are a feature of Rare Bird Radio. Hey everybody, welcome to the Tone Duff Sessions. Uh, my guest today, tonight, is uh, Lena Lucaro, longtime L.A. denizen uh, in the world of writing and nightlife. And uh, if you've been following anything in the L.A. Weekly for the past two decades plus, then the name Lena Lucaro should be at least reasonably familiar to you. Lena, say hi to everybody. Come on. Hello, everyone. See how friendly she sounds? Uh, and also, since we've been trying to talk to a lot of um, authors here on the Rare Bird Radio, she is the author of Los Angeles Best Dive Bars Drinking and Diving in the City of Angels, which came out 2010, right? Yeah, yeah, about six years ago now. Right, and so uh, how does one go about getting a deal for a book like that? How did the whole thing begin? Okay, um, well, I was actually really lucky on that one. Um, the LA Weekly was approached, the music editor at the time, by the name of, at that time, Randall Roberts, sure. who is now the music critic at the, the pop music critic at the LA Times. Yep. He was a music editor at the time, and they approached him, but he had literally just moved here, like, a year before. And this is a thing, we can get into that later, Bruce, but, you know, a lot of the people that get these editorial jobs uh, for a lot of the LA-based publications are not from LA. So while they may be very knowledgeable about music or, or whatever, they're not as knowledgeable about LA. And I am born and raised in LA, and have been covering Los Angeles, as you said, for you know more than half of my life. And so Randall Roberts, who was an ama- one of my favorite editors I've ever worked with, actually, um, when he was approached about doing this book by the publishing company, said, you know, I'm not the right person for the job, but I know who is. And he referred me oh, that's very cool. to the publisher. So I will always be grateful to him for that. Yay, Randall. And yes, love Randall Roberts. And so yes, from there, um, spoke with the publishers and got the deal and was given one year to write about 100 dive bars in Los Angeles. They came up with the number? Yes. Um, actually, it's a series. The book is a series. You can find um, books about um, dive bars uh, in cities around the country. So there's San... But at the time they approached me, there was already New York's best dive bars. There was San Francisco's, and I believe there was Seattle. Now there's even more. And they all use the same five beer can uh, rating system? Now that, um, I think that they adapted that a bit with my book. And henceforth, yes, they are using that system. But before... So did you come up with that? uh, You know, with the publisher, we discussed how how that was going to be done. And um, that book, you know, uh, now, like you said, it's it's six years, over six years old. Many of the bars in that book are no longer in existence. But um, the biggest challenge was just determining what is a dive. That was the big one that I was really nervous about. And obviously I looked at the other books um, that existed beforehand, but I just had to use my own criteria. And that's why we came up with the the, the uh, little beer bottles because dive, uh, five being the most divey and one being not so divey, but it still has something about it that... It's a neighborhood bar more than a Neighborhood, bar. hangout. Yeah, although of course that's the whole thing, right? Like dive bars, um, it's not a trend, but people think they're cool, and so they want to go to them. But then what happens is everyone thinks it's cool, and then it becomes kind of trendy, and then it's not. It loses some of that magic, and then what happens? Somebody maybe buys it, 
and redoes it, and then it's no longer really a dive anymore. But luckily, there's still, I'd say, more than half of the book. Those bars are still happening in L.A. and still pretty cool. I was going to say that, uh, you know, so, there's been so much change just in those six years. It's kind of alarming. And then it there's is. And then there's some that... Uh, flipped probably most tragically the uh, the powerhouse. Yes, was, that was because where I you know <laughs> we're up here in the so-called Hollywood Hills adjacent. Yes, so if we're walking down to Hollywood Boulevard, that used to be that was our first stop. And you'd have a you'd have your warm up drink at the powerhouse. Then maybe we're going to a show, going sure. to meet someone in another bar, whatever. Pre Hollywood Bowl, exactly. That's yes. where we would go. And now it's just, it's like a feral oh, ice cream. It's parlor. terrible. It's really sad. I remember when that flipped, as you said. I interviewed... And it's um, the same owner, if I'm correct. They didn't sell it. The guy no, just decided No, they just decided. Like, and I did talk to the manager when that happened. What happened there was... And, you know, they made a good point, which is that people... Believe it or not, like, yeah, we'd go there before a show, and people would go there, and you'd see, like, drug addicts and people smoking pot in the, uh, and pissing in the, in the back uh, smoking area. And there was a lot of little people there, which was really interesting. Remember yes, that? Yes. Yeah, and the seats were all torn up, and it was a classic mini dive. Mini-tea. Yes, Minitee. Mr. Minitee. Yes. Nice guy. So it was really a cool, quirky, bizarre, weird, kind of gross place, but enduring in that way. But the thing is, is that, you know, people weren't really patronizing it enough. And so the, the manager that I spoke with said, hey, we would have been glad to keep it grin grungy as it was, but it just wasn't making the money, is what, what they told me anyway. And uh, apparently now that it's all fancy and ice cream parlor like they do a lot better and they have fancy you know twelve dollar fifteen dollar yeah, cocktails only, we only went one time and I, you know the way it's kind of the way it's arranged now it doesn't seem like you can get as many people in agreed i went there after what was the last show um i saw the b b fifty twos and psychedelic furs at the at the hollywood bowl and i went down there afterwards and first of all it was packed though so i gotta say Somebody, right. somebody is going there. That that business move was smart for the owners, I guess. But you know, it just lost its cool cred, and now it's just another bar with fifteen dollars cocktails. You know, like um, specialty type. I think I had some cucumber yeah. infusion type thing. It was tasty, but you know, it just it doesn't have that um, that charm. It lost the charm for sure. The most hilarious thing about it is when they uh, fixed it up. The one thing they just didn't even bother with were the disgusting bathrooms where they had those like you pull down the towel and it just rotates the, uh, like the single most unsanitary way to wash like your hands in that, public that whole concept of that like roll yeah it's gross like who yeah no and they just left that and I'm like wait a minute you went to all this trouble and you know well I'm sure they probably like take that thing out and wash it now I, I hope oh please <laughs> put in an air blower but yeah so you know, I, I still love the dive bars, and you know the cover of the book is the Frolic Room, which I was actually going to go there tonight, and that place is still hasn't changed. And there's that still, pretty much hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. Forever. It's great, and I'm happy to say that a lot of the the bars in the book are still out, you know, functioning and still grungy and haven't really flipped. And but yeah, you know, hipsters quote unquote do go there, but they still have their sort of like you know uh, austere charm which is cool by the way i should mention that we are doing this on the first friday in june and uh i came out of my office this afternoon and was like holy cow summer finally hit and it was I just like so it's like 15 degrees hotter than it was yesterday so right. hence the windows are open the air conditioning <laughs> in our apartment sounds like a jet airliner crashing okay. through the roof so i can't ever have that on and so we have that you will hear motorcycles i think my wife is watching the uh you know uh <laughs> 
six feet deep or whatever. Yeah, six feet under. Uh, marathon. And your wife is awesome. I love her. I just want to put that on record. Well, yeah. She, I guess I have to interview her at some point. We'll have to have a, yes, I want to a hear knockdown that drag out or something. So, uh, how, oh, speaking of which. Yes, yeah, she is. It's, your, your ears are burning. It's like, uh, it's like an old Johnny Carson show. Sammy just came in. There uh, you go. Uh, Elsa, uh, introduce yourself. <laughs> Elsa's my other better half. It's, uh, uh, no, I'm no, the wife. Known in, the, known wife, in, the, awesome known wife. in the uh, roller derby world as Evil E. Yes. That's right. You do need to interview her. Evil She's e. a legend. Um, she is a legend. Now, technically, uh, you're a legend when you've been with the Derby Dolls for five years. I've been with the Derby Dolls for over ten years. I'm a demigod. Oh, demigod. She has a plaque on the I wall have a to prove it. Okay. So in what am I for LA nightlife then? God. I guess you're technically you're I'll take goddess. Double, double demigod. That's, Messiah, you know. I'm not sure. I'll but, take uh, it. I'll take any compliment I can get. Well you're the fabulous. You're the most Yay. fabulous. Uh, do you want to pitch what you're doing this weekend, Elsie? You're working yes, for uh, puppy dogs? Oh yeah, I have uh, friends who have rescued a beagle from the Beagle Freedom Project. They are an organization that um, gets beagles out of labs where they have been tested with on cosmetics. Uh, they have an app called the Cruelty Cutter that you can get online and you can scan uh, products before you buy them and, and find out if they've been tested on beagles or bunnies or anything else before you purchase them. That's great. So it's called the Cruelty Cutter app. And uh, this weekend, the Beagle Freedom Project is having a big ball uh, at the Hollywood Roosevelt and I'll be volunteering. Cool. Save the beagles. Yay. <laughs> Mwah. I love you. I love it. Are you leaving? I am going to go hang out with some Beagle Freedom people right awesome. now. So. See, this show is really authentic. You can hear kissing, yes. people yes. drinking. It's all happening in real time. I love time. it. Our, our cats will come and crying next. Yeah. Oh, all perfect, right. perfect. Uh, so you've been with the weekly uh, for over twenty years. Tell me how yeah. that. I mean, that was it was such a different world back then in terms of like uh, local publications and print and everything. Yeah. It's it's really changed and. In those days, and I sort of left. Uh, yeah, but, you wrote for LA Weekly. Well, I left the party 2005 and stopped okay. writing for everybody. Was that then? Okay. So, I mean, how fill me in on the last uh, 11 years? What's oh been going God. on? Well, you know what's funny? Lately, um, I have I have good Latina genes, so people always think I'm much younger than I am. And lately, I've like been like, I don't want to talk about the last 20 years, but you know what? Bottom line is. The internet is there. You can look up and see that I've been writing about music for 20 plus years. I did start very young. And how it all started was this. I grew up in Los Angeles and uh, very overprotective Latino parents. So the LA Weekly was really meaningful to me, actually. Um, I grew up in Silver Lake. And, you know, many LA Weekly back then, this is pre-internet. So obviously publications, especially a free one like the LA Weekly, The Reader was another one I would always sure. read. And, you know, I always loved to write. So I would always, like, walk down the street, uh, living in Silver Lake, and go to the local liquor store or whatever, bogeys or whatever, and pick up LA Weekly and The Reader, and I would read them cover to cover, and I would just be like, wow, my city is so cool, and I loved music. I couldn't, you know, I had overprotective parents, so I couldn't, like, go out or anything. So these pu free publications were like a window into my city, and I just couldn't wait that I could be old enough to actually go out there and, and experience it all. And so LA Weekly specifically, I would loved the column called La Di Da. Which, which is Belissa Cohen. Well, Belissa Cohen was later, but Pleasant Gaiman... Oh, I used to read right. Pleasant Game and I used to read Kim Jones, Tomato Do Plenty. These are people like, I'm talking, I'm like 12 years old yeah. reading this okay, stuff. That's right. And it'd be like Disgraced Land and all this crazy shit. And it'd be like, 
wow, like all this crazy punk rock music. And this is like just outside my door. But yet, of course, I couldn't experience it. So I would just read it. And um, so I would read all these publications. And at the time, you know, I was in junior high um, on the school paper, junior high. And I just kind of like kind of I, I don't know when I figured it out, but I just wanted to write. And then at some point I figured out I want to write about this. And so then in high schools, you start to get, you know, rebellious. Um, I would do the classic spend the night at my girlfriend's house. And she'd say she'd spend the night at mine. And then we would, like, spend the night at, like, our f druggy friends, like, squat in Hollywood. And then we'd go to Club Scream. So Club Scream was my very first club. And I went every Friday. So what are we talking, like, 87, 88? I don't want to date myself. Uh, well, no, I mean, the Scream was okay. historical. Late 80s. Okay. Well, Late yeah, 80s. Yeah, yeah. And um, so we would go to Scream, and I'm, yeah, I saw Jane's Addiction there. Sure. I saw, I apparently saw Guns N' Roses there. I don't remember it. Um, one of the other things was, uh, this is terrible. I hope my daughter doesn't hear this someday, but we, could, we found that we could buy wine at Pick and Save, Boone's Farm, and they wouldn't cart us. So we'd always go to the Pick and Save on, um, I believe it was on Vine at the time, and we would go buy wine there, and we wouldn't get carted, and we would drink wine, and then we'd go to Scream and watch all these like seminal bands um, and at the same time I was getting more into writing obviously and then so I was doing this clubbing and and starting to write about music a little bit for the school paper and what was cool is like you know I'm very uh, animated I'm, I have ADD and but the good thing about that was that I was able to go out be sort of a bad girl and do these things but yet keep an, a straight A average and I was also the editor of the school paper at Marshall High School which was um, my high school. The in, Van Halen High School. In Silver Lake. Is that the Van Halen High School? Yeah, that's where they shot Hot for Teacher. Yes, in our library. And that was actually before, a little before my time. But um, yeah, so I was getting good grades. I was the editor of the paper. I started writing about music. And then when I graduated, I was like, what am I going to do next? And I kind of like, I took my SETs. I did okay, but I didn't know what to do. So I decided that I would just go to LACC. So I went to LACC. And at that time... I was like, I think I want to get into journalism. So uh, I walked down the street because I lived up, like two blocks from where the LA Weekly offices were in Silver Lake. And I got an internship at the LA Weekly. And I was going to LACC and I got credit, you know, f through the journalism program. And soon enough, I mean, literally maybe like five months in interning there, they saw my knowledge for nightlife and music and they put me with Belissa Cohen. So they said, okay. And the interns at that time would fact check all of the articles, which... Remember, this is pre-internet, so it'd be like typed out, and the editor fact checking. Fact checking. Remember that, fact checking? That, that is that's a, a concept, right? It's a lost art right there. I don't. Yes. Who even employs a fact checker nowadays? No, I don't think I anybody does. No, I don't think they do anymore. We're all uh, responsible for our own factual accuracy. But at that time, the interns did it, and so I would. I had the hardest job, which was fact checking La Di Da for Belissa, which and if you know anyone that used to read that Weekly at that time. Melissa would write sort of contentious stuff, you know? So to fa it's a delicate thing when you're fact-checking with, like, some punk rock band and maybe she's saying something not so nice about them, but I would find a way to deliver the facts and just make sure that was okay without, like, you know, um, really revealing exactly what she was saying about them. It was a really delicate thing, and I did very well with it. And then soon enough, Melissa would take me out to... Uh, shows and we got the VIP treatment and I'd say so about 18 years old I got really spoiled like that young to get like VIP treatment when I would go out places because right. I, I would be with her 
And then, um, yeah, so the LA Weekly. So soon enough, I, I worked for, with her for a while. She also did the listings. Our, our The LA Weekly's calendar section was, you know, where everyone looked to find out what they wanted the to Bible. do. The Bible. Yes, and again, not online. Actual paper. Had, that's the only way you could find out. Exactly. I started working on that, um, doing, uh, like, clubs. And then Melissa just said, I don't like it. You just do it. And so I started doing all the, all the dance club section. And that was probably about, like, 20 years old or so. And so I did that. Uh, my whole history for LA Weekly will take three hours to yeah, tell yeah. you, no, I get, but, but, but that's I, how I got in, and from there, ultimately, uh, started pitching stories. My right. first piece I ever did, actually, was an interview with Susie Sue, Okay. because I was friends with Joseph Brooks, who was a DJ at Scream. See, yep. everything connects. Yeah, of course. And um, from there, I've been through now, you know, being there over 20 years, like, what, like, seven music editors probably so it'd be fair to say that yeah. your beat is if that's still the term yeah is nightlife shows sure. live stuff happening in real live life. and yeah. dance clubs and um just uh even parties you know like it doesn't have to be a live music element it could be for a long time and and this has changed because the music industry changed but a long time it would just be like like sponsored parties like Grammy parties or record label you know obviously the whole music industry is not the same but there was a time they were just throwing money at record release parties and all that kind of thing right. and I throughout the years covered many amazing I'm sure uh, parties which again now the budgets are all cut back it's not the same but it's um, not the same you don't get the all the same goodies the that same. you used to get but you know anything that's like kind of after dark or artsy arts and culture parties social music fashion all that kind of stuff all that fun stuff that i funny enough always read about as a little kid and was like ah you know i now get to write about that and um still do maybe a little i'm not right. out there as much as i used to be but i still have fun with it and i'm not quite jaded yet well you so. just had a thing come out today about yes. uh the parties to look forward to this yes. summer this yes. month yes what would you recommend top of, of the things you uh reviewed? oh my god i'm gonna have to like look on my thing <laughs> One was uh, emo. I remember that oh, the emo, emo night. night. At, but did uh, you read the piece? Because yeah, I, I kind of like kind of like digging on it. I was kind of digging, and in fact, my editor was like, "Ah, uh, I don't think I like that." Um, I feel like at this point in my career, like I'm just gonna call it like I see it, and I'll tell you to go to something, but I'm gonna keep it real. And if I want to make fun of it a little, I can't. I feel like at this point, any everything is is right for making fun of. You gotta have a sense of humor. Yeah, and at my age, it's just funny because um, this emo night, for example, is very popular. It's at the Echo. And it's kind of celebrating bands from the early 90s. Right, which is nostalgia now, almost. Which is like nostalgia, but yeah. for me, it's like, hi, I, I remember just covering that not that long ago, but that just shows you how time flies. And I used to write for LA Times for several years also. And I that was my beat at LA Times was, I like I covered every Warp Tour and OzFest for like eight years straight for right. them. Robert Hilburn was my editor sure. at that time, Richard Cromlin. And um, so for me to see that all these new kids find that, like, cool and hip, it's just kind of weird. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm going to reflect my perspective in what I write these days. But I never want to make fun of things, like, too harshly because it's a whole new generation. Like, again, I don't ever want to come off too jaded. I'll, I'll show my perspective, but at the same time... Uh, I try to find value in everything that I write about. Speaking of some of the editors that you've name-checked here, that yeah. you've worked with, the guys yeah. I've known over the years, too. Yeah. Some of them, I know, uh, have been retired, so to speak, because yes. they've been around so long that their right. salaries went up and up, and the paper said, just sort of like, let's get somebody cheap to do the I same know. job. That's which is unfortunate. It's terrible. Has right. any of that, uh, you know, really affected you? I mean, yes. I know that part of it, <laughs> why I quit, is like, 
Geez, I'm hitting my head on the ceiling. This, there, no one's ever raising their rates. I mean, oh my God, Bruce, if you know what the rates are now, we won't really go there. But I'll say this: it's a struggle, and if I didn't love it and have support from my at the time my husband, now soon to be ex-husband, but he's still very supportive, I could not continue to do what I do. That's that's the the bold truth, and I'll say it because. You know, I get a lot of kids nowadays that like see my name out there and they ask me for advice and I'm like, honestly, just don't expect to, you know, unless you have a best-selling book, um, you're not going to, you can barely be comfortable and you got to work your ass off. And that's the truth. And that really, the internet is what kind of like ruined it for all of us. But separately, as you know, as a journalist for many years, um, it's just really hard uh, to get paid these rates that are lower. They, they're getting lower. Yeah. That's the thing. Literally, I do the same thing for less money, but... What I'm finding is when I talk to friends who do are in any creative field, that is sort of the case with everybody. We're all working harder for less money. And, you know, the perks, I feel like <laughs> um, like it's a line out of Almost Famous or something, but the truth is the perks are really great. Sure. You know, the free music and great seats at concerts. And so if you have that passion, it's great, but you you got to resign yourself to the fact that you're not going to be rich ever, ever. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. You know, so yeah, for me, absolutely, um, it's it's a daily struggle. But you know, like for example, I just saw the Cure and I had amazing box seats. Like that's a moment that we'll all remember forever. I got to write about the Cure. I got to see them at the Holy Bowl. I had amazing seats. At the end of the day, that was worth it for me to be able to do that. You know, but um, at the end of the month, yeah. Uh, that's <laughs> That's the trick. Well, I mean, for me, it was always, uh, I always had a job yeah. and it was like extra income. Uh -huh. And so it was great. So, yeah, the perks were super. And, and also back in those days, you'd get all the uh, promotional items. Yes, and you then you could, go to Amoeba. Yeah, you know, sell or, them and walk or out. errands if we can or go errands. back that far. Yes, we can go back that far. That sucks. That was the place. That sucks to lose that income because let's be honest here, that was, God, a couple hundred bucks extra a month, if not more. I mean, I'd get stacks of CDs. Yeah. Oh. I remember that transitioning out, too. I'm, I think the first thing I got that was, like, kind of water... It was the second uh, Prodigy record. And it was watermarked, <laughs> and you can't do this. And I was listening to the damn thing, and there would be these pre-recorded, this is not for sale, you can't sell... I'm like, I'm trying to review it, and there's, like, some idiot talking over it. Yeah. And I, so I trashed it. I'm like, don't buy this record, because... Uh, well, that's going to interfere with the process. Yeah. But, you know, even the watermark stuff, I... I feel like Aaron's and Amoeba still took it. They don't care. <laughs> it's on you, not them. Yeah. That's the thing. You are a big superstar on Luxuria Radio. Which yeah. I, if I roll the clock back, I, <laughs> I want to say that Luxuria was part of the Enigma Network. Am I remembering that right? Actually, I okay, that's one that I can't answer. I don't know the history of, of, of Luxuria. I will say this. I know that it started off... Um, being very like loungy. Yeah, it was an uh, exotica channel. An exotica channel. And I would say that my show, and maybe Johnny Whitmer's from um, yeah. Crazy Squeeze as well, was sort of uh, a turning point where they were kind of, they've opened it up. But I know I play stuff that Luxury would never have played before. But uh, to backtrack about my like DJ career, as you know, um, let's start back to. Uh, actually DJing, DJing, because that's kind of where it started. And sure. I think I maybe even DJed for you, like a yep. knitting factory. Yes, um, I believe you did. It's so funny because it's kind of a cliche now that everybody's a DJ. Everybody's a DJ okay. with vinyl only. Yes. Well, not me. I, I, I play on my computer. I do CDs and I'll do vinyl too. I'll do whatever. Like, I'll do whatever's easiest to carry. So that, that 
well, cancels out vinyl. Yeah, that's, that's a t- <laughs> I, I don't need to impress anyone with that, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I do like to impress people with my selections. And I'll tell you, the DJing thing started, I will say, at Knitting Factory one night, and I believe maybe you were the booker for this, uh, there would be people in the front room of the Knitting Factory yeah. in Hollywood, on Hollywood Boulevard. Yep. And Jim Freak, who mm-hmm. is a co- longtime colleague of my, of ours, friend, uh, was DJing in that front room. And then I was hanging out with him. And then I was like just hanging out in the DJ booth with him. And I was telling him, oh, play this, play that. He's like, you should come back and we'll do like a tag team. I'm like, yes, that'll be so fun. And this is many years ago. Yeah, that was a blast. We used to have nothing but DJs in there. still a restaurant. Yeah, so, yeah, so I did book fun. that. You I did said, book yeah, that, didn't let's, you? Yeah, let's have DJs in here. It's fun. Yay, I give and you And actually, credit. I ended up at the uh, knitting factory because of Jim Freak. He was uh, he was DJing at uh, the satellite back when it was called Spaceland. I oh, go, yes. Well, I want to do this. I, how do I get in? Because, well, I'm hogging it. But I know that they're looking for DJs over at the knitting factory. Oh, is that how See? So then I called up uh, Liz Garrow, who yes. I believe comes up every episode. and uh, <laughs> Of course Liz does. And uh, so that's how, you know, I started there as a DJ, and then they fired their publicist, and they go, do you want to be a publicist? And I was like, ah, I don't know if I want to work for a venue, but right. the record companies were in the tank then. So I go, yeah, why not? Hey, it see, was, so it was a really good move now. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, see, so that's it cool. It's like it all connects. So, well, I've known Liz forever. That's a whole other story. But, of course. Um, but, you know, the Jim Freak thing, actually, you know, he did give me a couple gigs. At, I did a couple Space Land when he couldn't do it. I did get to DJ at Space Land a couple times. That was cool. But, yeah, so we did the whole, like, tag team. And then I did a few on my own. And then Key Club. I started because Heidi Richmond was involved with something with Nitty Factory too, with Liz, who's her friend. She was the publicist. There you go. And then Key Club happened. And so my first regular DJ, real proper DJ gig that was like every single week was for Metal School, who went on to be called Steel Panther. Right, right. Metal 80s band. There was a, a room below the Key Club. Yeah. And it was like the VIP plush lounge. And I would just play rock and roll and, uh, and metal, of course. Uh, I play all kinds of music. I'm not like one genre. And then I did that for many, for a while. And then what happened with the radio show, how it kind of, uh, being DJing in a club evolved into like a radio show was um, TK, who was a DJ at Indy 103.1, mm-hmm. which was a great radio station here yep. in LA for, you know, a chunk of time. Um, he, after Indy 103.1 folded, which was unfortunate. That's where Jonesy's Jukebox sure. originated, which is now in KLOS. Uh, when that folded, uh, a, a lot of stations went to the internet. So Indy 103.1 actually w- went to the internet. Yep. And it's still there. But TK did his own thing, and it was called Mohique. It was named after his Mohawk. Yeah, was I a remember Mohawk that. DJ. Was that w- where uh, I took Kevin and the boys down to? Yes, yes. Oh, I had just them. down the street. Yeah, but they've moved many, several times. When I stopped my show with them, they were actually at Swing House Studios. Okay. Yeah. But um, so what happened was I wrote a piece about uh, Mohique for the LA Weekly. And just talking about how these like cool DJs, whatever. And then he's like, wow, you know, you have good taste in music. Would you like to have a show? I'm like, why not? It wasn't something I aspired to, but I love music. So why not? So I had a show on Mohique for like a year or so. Then there was some conflict with the name Mohique. And then he changed the name of the station. And it still exists to this day. It's called The Independent FM. Independent.FM. And I had a radio show on that station for like eight months or so. It just became, you know... Um, a lot of work for no money, you know, obviously. And I love doing things for passion, but at the end of the day, your time is your time. I'm a mother as well. And so I took a break and uh, didn't do any radio. And then Luxuria hit me up. Like, now it's been, I mean, I've only had my Luxuria show for about six months. And they hit me up. 
and I decided, yeah, I'll give it a go. I miss it. You know, I just love curating music. And so my show is every Sunday from 2 to 4. And every week I do, it's called Hot Licks with Lena. And every week I do a theme, some type of theme. Uh, my other show that was on Mohique and Independent FM was interview-based, kind of like this. I would have a guest in, yeah. we would talk. I'd play a little music that was kind of like influenced by the conversation. But this new show is just music. Now, I listened to one today. Uh, now, if I'm, if I'm correct, so you actually have to tune in when you're on. Uh, but they, they have some up as podcasts. They have, every show is also podcasted after the fact on LuxuryMusic.com. And every show on the entire station. So you could hear Howie Pyro's show podcasted, Johnny Whitmer's, Carrie Chaos, all of the DJs that are on, uh, Lee Joseph, Christian Hoffman. These are all people. I mean, that's a thing, too. And they're too. all people that we all know from They're all people that we know. And honestly, like, to be in that company, that's why I would do something like no, this for course. free. And same with Mohique. At the time that I was doing Mohique, it was, like, Adam 12 and Casper Von DJ and, like, cool people that were, like, doing shows. And so for me, that's, like, really important. Like, the company I'm in, these are people that, like, know their shit when it comes to music. And to just be in that company is super cool. But yes, if you go on luxurymusic.com, under there's a tab for podcasts, and you can hear everybody's show up from the past, you know, several months. I was listening to your uh, women in music show. <sighs> yes, today. that was fun. People the were LA by, women or just the women it in rock? Was women in rock, and people were wondering why I was blasting Helen Reddy, I Am Woman, so loud. Uh, when <laughs> kind of I scratching said, their head, looking in, like, hey, you know. Here's the thing, Bruce. Like, you know, Howie Pyro and these other people that, like, these are, like, record collectors. These are, like, people that know their shit and are really obscure. I just go the other route, and I'll just go for the obvious, because I don't need to prove anything to anybody. So, for me, I respect those people and, and, and their knowledge of obscurities. But for me, I just play what I'm feeling, and I've played some stuff on Luxuria that I think no one ever thought they would hear on that station. And I'm having fun with it, because at this point, I've been doing this so long. I know my shit as well. And if I'm creating a vibe or a theme, then, yeah, it was a women in rock show, and the obvious choice would be to play I Am Woman. Well, Helen Reddy was hip, so enough, I did. For, uh, hip enough for Kim Fowley to produce. Well, there you go. So There you go. Oh, we, let's not even get started on Kim Fowley. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to cause trouble. <laughs> but, yeah, so luxury music is great, and I encourage all your listeners to check it out. Um, all the DJs on there are great, and the, you can hear all my past shows under the podcast tab. So uh, I also see that you have uh, something coming up you wanted me to uh, know about. Never what it's called. Oh, uh, never mind the rules. Never mind the rules. Now that it, now that's with Susan Hyatt. Yeah. Is she? A, I want. I looked her up and I'm. Yes. There was a many. And is she the uh, songwriter from Nashville? Have I got the yes, right girl? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So I don't really know too much about her. Well, let me tell you a little bit about her. Um, she would love that we're talking about her. I'm sure. Doesn't everybody? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Well, first of all, she is an LA-based musician who has been in tons of bands. She was in the Pandoras. Okay. So that gives you, you know, some sure. reference right there. Okay. Metal Pandoras or Garage Pandoras? Like somewhere in between, I think. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know there was an in-between. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe right. like the end of the garage into the... I think end of garage, okay. if, I, if I'm right. Okay. Uh, yeah, and so she's been in a ton, ton of bands. She was back in the day, like, you know, those like L.A. Rocks review days. She was in also in a band called The Loved Ones with Mark Diamond. Oh, okay. So that kind of gives you some reference. Sure. I've known her since then. And uh, tons of bands. She moved to England for a while and uh, singer-songwriter. So what happened with that project was um, I wrote her bio. As you know, as a journalist, sometimes you have to do other work. Absolutely. And uh, do bio and work. And wait a half year for the check from the uh, label. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, I'll just put it out there. I'm open to doing bio work. <laughs> and 
And uh, liner notes, I've done that sure. too. For Jim Freak, actually, I did. But um, for Tina's side. But with Susan, I did her bio. And then from there, she was like, you know, I have this project. And um, she was like, would you like to be my ghostwriter? And I'll pay you and everything. And I was like, yeah. And the project was sort of a self-help, but also about dating. And at that time, I had just broken up with my, my marriage was kind of ending. And I was like, well, I don't really want to write about, like, love stuff right now. Like, I'm just not in that frame of mind. But then as, as, we start, as I started consulting with her on the project, I realized, wow, you know, a lot of women are like me, which is that I had a long-term relationship end. And um, how do you navigate that? And how do you um, figure out, like, you know, how to, how to do that? So what basically happened was I started working on this project with her, but I was sort of living my own life and telling her my experiences. And the whole thrust of the project changed where... Everything that Susan had said, the advice she was giving in her book, mm-hmm. I was breaking all the advice. And I was like, you know, let's put some of that advice in there, but let's also take a punk rock approach to dating and self-help and say, you know what, sometimes you just got to be like, fuck it. I can say that, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. You can. Uh, we could say dirty Sometimes words. it's about making mistakes so you can learn from those mistakes. And I know Oprah actually just said this. Oprah has some like talk she just did that everyone's sharing. It's kind of the same concept, which is that, you know, it's all the journey. And even if you make a wrong move, that's part of your journey. And you learn from it and then you figure it out. So I was doing that as a, as a newly single woman. And so our project suddenly started to shift. And suddenly I was like, and let, you know, you're a musician. I'm a rock writer. Let's take the concepts of this book and let's make it about like having a rock and roll attitude. Okay. And then we came up with the name Never Mind the Rules. Now, the other thing it is referencing is there's a very famous book telling women how to snag a man. It's called The Rules. And they promise you in this book that if you follow these rules, you will... So girls have books like that, too? Girls have books oh, like that. Oh, that's hilarious. Now, men have books that are like, oh, pick up the chick. Yeah. But this is like, how to get him to marry you type of book. Which yeah, is, a different approach. Yeah. And different so we goals. were like, you know what? Never Mind the Rules... Because ultimately, you got to be you. And even if you snag the guy and he marries you, he's probably going to end up divorcing you when he finds out the real you. So just be the real you in the beginning. And it's also just about, like, it's an empowerment girl power deal. And uh, we wrote the book. We got a, we got an agent. And the agent shopped the book last year. And as you know, as an author, uh, sometimes people just don't really get your concept or whatever so right now we are re- kind of like revising the book and we might be self-publishing actually okay but that's the project we're doing and i'm really excited about it um i think that it has some really cool stuff and we've made it more music centric too so um i feel like music is really you know for people that love it so much like us it's so much a part of our life and i think that we can look at music and, and lyrically and nostalgically and we can we can apply it to our lives i think and so that's what the book is about like kind of like for example, a lot of the head, the subheads it, within the book are song titles. Um, you know, we all remember, like, the music that was playing during our first kiss and how sure. pivotal, that kind of stuff. So I really want to make it more rock and roll um, driven or music driven in general and, and show the parallels of music and how that can play into being, like, a tough, assertive, uh, confident woman. And I, man, I and asked man. this question to Catherine just last week. How do you write a book with somebody else? How do you uh, do that? Oh, yeah, that's difficult. That's difficult. Um, very carefully. <laughs> I mean, do you, do you write from the outset 
you know, divide up who's going to do what? We've divided up certain topics. Actually, right now, I'm, I'm, I'm past my deadline. I'm supposed to be writing about dating apps. This is the other thing. Since we started the project two years ago, all that stuff it's a whole out. new world. Yeah. I and hear all of that from my friends that are, are, are similar to you, married for a long time. Yeah. Now I'm single. I'm back in the world. And it's like... It's really It's daunting. all a new method. It's so daunting. And I'll be honest, like for me personally, um, the whole like dating website thing, I really resisted it because I felt like, oh, that, that means you're desperate. What I soon realized is that for 20-somethings, it doesn't mean you're desperate. It's just how it's done now. It's just how it's done. That's how people meet. And what I do like about them, there's a lot of things I don't like. But what I do like is that your intentions are really clear, where for me personally, when I'm out at a club or a bar or whatever, I just, I, or even on Facebook, I've been, I've had guys hit on me on Facebook and it's like, I don't know what their intentions are. I don't know if they just want an article for their band. That's a whole other story because I don't really want to date like dudes in bands or whatever. But um, as a single woman, you know, you, um, the dating sites at least, you know, the intention is they want to date you and maybe it won't work out. Maybe they just want to hook up and you'll figure that out pretty soon. But at least you know, like, no, this is what it's about. And I actually really like that transparency to it. But, yeah, so I'm writing about that right now. But there's a lot of things that, of course, I don't like about it. Organically is best, of course. But um, for a book that kind of deals with relationships and self-help, we felt it was very important to cover that. And yeah, I mean, it's almost like step one nowadays for so many people. Yeah, for a lot of people. I, can, I can't even that. imagine. God help me if I'm ever single again. Oh my you God. will not be single. You're, you have the awesomest wife ever. I Just hope that's treat her right, Bruce. Well, you know, <laughs> acts of God notwithstanding, of course. So, yeah, so I'm really excited about the book, and hopefully uh, it'll be out by the end of the year. And like I said, if we don't find a publisher that really is jiving with what we're doing, then we will self-publish, and that's okay. Well, you know, you're on a, a publisher's page right now. This is a publisher radio station. So yes! Who knows, Rare Bird might just go give you a call or ask yes me well look it up we have a facebook page never mind the rules how to rock it love and life all right lena i'm gonna uh wrap it here yes because uh, we're almost to the 40 minute mark but Bruce, my, we have uh, so much more to talk we'll, about we'll do we'll do phase <laughs> two we'll be back this I, is great I, we'll be doing this for a while all right well thank you so much for coming by thank you can i give out my uh you can hype however you wish to <laughs> hype away That's is that cheesy no nah, man all right you devoted some time you Yay. dig in Yay. Okay. Whatever you want to tell. Well, first of all, Bruce, thank you for having me. Of course. I've, I've been a longtime friend and fan of yours forever, and this is awesome to be on your podcast. Um, so, yeah, if anyone wants to kind of, like, keep up to date with me, it, I've made it really easy. Every, all my social media is the same, L-I-N-A-L-E-C-A-R-O. That's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. Actually, that's all I'm on. I know I need to get with the times and do the Snapchat and all that other stuff. I don't like Snapchat. Yeah, I, I haven't done any of it. I think it's but, stupid. You know. I but, like Instagram the best. Yeah, Instagram's great. It's very visual. So what I do is, especially Twitter and Facebook, I share links to all of my work. LA Weekly is the main outlet right now, but I'm doing a lot for uh, for Vice's um, outlet, music oh, that's outlet, cool. Noisy. Excellent. Yeah, so Noisy's big, Thrillist, LAist. LittleRollingStone.com, a little Yahoo, FlavorWire Flavor is a new outlet, and more to come. Actually, I've got a few things up my sleeve coming up. So follow my social media, and you can see all my links to all my work. Great. Let's have a cheers. Cheers. This was fun. All oh, right. let's do it louder. That wasn't loud enough. All right. All right. Well, that's it for the Tone Duff Sessions. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Tone Duff Sessions. Join us in two weeks 
when our guest will be Iris Berry, owner of Punk Hostage Press and author of The Daughters of Bastards, and Alan McDonald, author of Punk Elegies and Prisoner of X.